have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriend gives about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We are excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I am I got to sleep in this morning, which is like now a super luxury because <laughs> <laughs> my son is back in school and we have to get up so early. I have been getting up at 6.15, which... Used to be like super normal, and then my son got a little older, and we didn't have to be at preschool until nine. And so I got in the habit of sleeping in, and now it's like, oh my gosh, six fifteen comes so early, and it's dark outside. So what's sleeping in? So it would have been eight o'clock or like seven thirty. Okay, maybe seven, seven between seven and seven thirty is when we always got up. We just kind of got up naturally, like mm-hmm. when we woke up. And um, man, that's like magic. And not doing that is killing me. Oh, that's a luxury for me. Oh, if I can so sleep nice. until I wake up. Oh. <laughs> but I get up at 4.30, so oh my sleeping gosh. until I wake up looks more like 6.15. Yeah. You are an animal. You get up, you get up to exercise, right? I do. I do. So I just started uh, a new training regimen. I want to learn how to run because I'm oh. training for this Tough Mudder in like three months. Oh, that's right. So uh, for the next eight weeks, I'm focusing on running instead of cycling. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to watch you and be inspired <laughs> by you. And I'm going to be really excited for you and I'm going to cheer for you. And then when you're finished, I want to hear a total, a full report. And our girlfriends are going to want to hear a full report about your Tough Mudder. Yeah, my goal is just to, one, be able to finish, and two, to be able to do at least half of the obstacles, and that'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're going to do so many more than the half of the obstacles, because well, you are a ten- Tough Mother. <laughs> we're doing the 10-milers, so it's like 20, oh 22 to 25. Is your husband doing it with you? Yeah, he's the one that talked me into oh it. Oh, my gosh. His idea. You guys are awesome. <laughs> I'm so inspired. Yeah, we'll see. Like, my husband and I walk around the block, and that's, like, we feel really proud of ourselves. And that's good, too. <laughs> Oh, gosh. You are amazing. I'm super inspired by you. Well, Don't be. Wait until we survive it. (laughs) That was me this week. Uh, My husband and I are doing something, and we've had several people say, like, oh, that's so awesome. You know, we're so impressed, and we're so – and I'm like, wait, we're not finished. Like, we're just getting started. (laughs) We might decide halfway through this sucks, and we don't want to do it. Right. (laughs) So, well, I'm cheering for you now. And I'll be cheering for you on the other side of it. Appreciate that. And I'll be um, really excited to hear your your postmortem on it because (laughs) you don't pull punches and you'll tell us what you really think. I have a lot of friends who've done that kind of thing. It looks like so much fun. I am excited about the opportunity to prove to myself that I can do something like this. Uh, The main, I remember my dad asking me in um, high at the end of high school if, well, beginning of my senior year, if I would consider going into the military because that would help pay for college. And I was like, are you crazy? One, I don't run. <laughs> Two, I'm not doing all that climbing and stuff. Um, so no. So, But I am interested at, you know, almost 46 years old to say, is that something I could actually do? Yeah. You know? 
I want to do something like that, like um, an obstacle course type thing. Um, But but I want it to all be made out of bounce houses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be so fun! (laughs) Oh my god, (laughs) my son was that was my son was at an event yesterday, or we were all at an event yesterday, and they have these inflatable obstacle courses, and I so wanted to jump in and do it, but they don't allow me. That's a real thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But it's all for kids. I mean, you can't get into it as an, at least I haven't been where I can get in as an adult, but I want to. I wonder to. if I could like rent I want that for to. my birthday party. I think you should. And if you do, oh I want to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a serious note, we have, um, we are going to tackle a topic today. Ha, huh, speaking of tackle, did you, tackle it's like a physical, it. anyway, the, <laughs> we, yeah, <laughs> we're going to tackle a, a really important topic and it is a topic that I think, um, I've gotten more questions and buzz about in the last few days than I have about anything in a long time. And when I first saw this, um, bubble up, I was really emotionally, I reacted emotionally right away. Hmm. And I don't usually jump into the fray on social media about controversial topics because, um, you know, I just feel a lot of times like social media is not a great place to have these conversations about things that people, including me, feel emotional about. You know, you got limited, um, you've got a limited number of words you can use. You've got context issues you have you know voice tone right all of that is lost translate right right and so um so I I did immediately I like jumped in and then immediately I jumped out because I was like okay did you actually post something oh yeah I I post I actually had some back and forth with a a person on social media which I don't usually do that but I did I didn't see anything um it was on Twitter okay that's why yeah and I was like um okay this is, I'm going to not be nice. And one of my, I'm finna start cussing. Yeah. That was it girl. You know, so my, my, uh, you know, one of my, one of my rules for myself is like, you know, say what you mean and mean what you t- mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Like that's really, I really try hard to do that. Like yeah. I want to, I want to be clear and I want to say what I mean, but I don't ever want to be mean because on the other side of that is a person who has feelings and is valuable. And I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that person right. in the process of trying to say what I want to say and yeah. get my point across. And that's one of the reasons I feel like social media is so limiting, especially on Twitter. Yeah. But I can't ignore this issue and I don't want to ignore this issue. And other people are asking me about this issue. Mm-hmm. So the issue is around um, childhood obesity and overweight and a new app that just came out. So, um, so I saw this question in your Insta story. Uh huh. It was like yes. a, a poll, and I was uh-huh. like, "Oh wow, I want to, I want to hear yeah. about that." I hadn't heard the news about it. Yeah. Uh, your Insta story was the first place that I'd seen it, okay. and I was like, "Well, that's interesting." Yeah. Let's hear more about that. Okay, good. So yeah. I had some other people who were asking me about it offline. Okay. Um, so, which is why I posed it as a potential question amongst Mm -hmm. the other things that I had going on yesterday. Um, And it was actually the one that got the most votes, Mm. but I wasn't ready to talk about it because I knew we were going to talk about it today and I needed a little bit more time to think through my, um, my thoughts on it more clearly. And so with all that said, I want to introduce our guest because we have a guest with us today who I think can also offer um, her perspective and her unique voice to this issue. And so this issue of childhood obesity and overweight and how to address that issue is not simple. It is a complex issue. And I think that it is a multifaceted issue. And one thing isn't going to solve this issue. And one thing isn't going to 
ruin this issue either. You know what I mean? It's not going to totally sabotage everything we're trying to do. But um, without further ado, let me introduce our guest. Um, we have a guest with us today, Lauren Harris-Pincus, who's a registered dietitian like me. She focuses on communication, so she's a spokesperson, but she's also a writer and um, a mom, and she's in private practice. Um, she is the founder and owner of Nutrition Star Starring You, and she specializes in weight management and prediabetes. She's also, um, as I mentioned, a writer, but she's an author. So she has a cookbook called The Protein Pack. Packed Breakfast Club, easy high-protein recipes with 300 calories or less to help you lose weight and boost metabolism. She's also formerly an obese child. So I think she has a lifetime of perspective, and um, and her individual experience I think will be really valuable. She's also an expert to the media, and she's been on all the big things that you read and see online and in real life, like the Huff Huffington Post, Fox News, the New York Post, and many more. Um, and I consider her to be a friend and also a, a true expert in this area. So welcome, Lauren. You are so sweet, Sherry. Thank you so much. Hi, Dee. I'm so happy to be with you guys today. Yeah, I'm so excited about this conversation. So I mentioned a little bit, I sort of gave uh, a little, uh, alluded a little bit to the fact that you were an overweight or obese child. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and sort of your journey and how you came to be a dietitian and work in the area you do? Sure. So I, um, I was overweight as early as I can remember, before kindergarten even, um, I just remember being a bigger kid. Um, so clearly there's a genetic component there. Um, I was at Weight Watchers with my mom when I was about seven. I remember sitting there in like the support group with the adults and doing the weigh-ins and stuff. Um, and that was because the doctor told my mother to take me there. A lot of people say, oh my God, I can't believe your mother did that. Well, guess what? The doctor told her to. So what she, what is she going to do as a mother? She's going to do what the pediatrician, you know, suggested that she do. And, um, I yo-yoed for a very long time. I did two, um, we called them fat camps back in the day, obviously not PC anymore to say that, but that's what we called them. Uh, when I was 13 and 15, I went to, you know, summer sleepaway weight loss camps where they feed you 1200 calories and work you out like six hours a day. Wow. Um, that sounds horrible. Was it at least children. fun? <laughs> um, so one was actually a Weight Watchers camp. I don't think mm. they have them anymore under Weight Watchers. And then the other one was a different one. And, you know, I, I always lost weight, but then you come home and you sit in school all year on your tush all day and you go back to eating, you know, similarly to the way that you were in your household, which sort of is what caused the whole problem to begin with. And, um, you know, the weight comes back. But I went up, down, up, down, and I was, I tried every diet in the world that was available back then. We're talking the 70s and 80s. And then when I was a senior in high school, I just sort of said, I'm, I'm done with this now. Like, I want to go to college. Um, not heavy like this. I can't keep up with my friends. I can't do the physical activity I want to do. I can't wear the clothes that I want to wear. And, you know, to a 17-year-old, that very, very much matters. So, um, and this, this wasn't at the urging of my family. I had a very incredibly loving, supportive family that never shamed me, never made me feel bad about my weight, never, ever. So it was not my family. This was, mm. this was me wanting to do this for myself. And I begged my mom to take me to this. It was sort of the first iterations of Nutrisystem or Jenny Craig, even before them, when they gave you the food and you had like a weekly coach, but it was an 800 calorie diet. Whoa. So you, you can imagine, right? So 800 calories a day, it was like, if that. And um, 
I lost like almost 50 pounds doing that my senior year in high school. And I went to college, the, the new me, and I was thrilled to death and very happy and spent, you know, the next four years getting a nutrition degree to learn how to help other people do it. But it was a challenge because you can imagine going away for the first time, you know, the freshman 15 that everybody gains. Mm -hmm. I was so terrified to gain any weight that it almost flipped to the eating disorder side because I would at the time literally buy like, you know, Weight Watchers and Lean Cuisines and everything and all those meals and shove them in like the three inch space in that little freezer in my dorm room. <laughs> um, and, you know, like three at a time. And I would eat those for dinner and stuff because I was just so uncomfortable eating the food in the dining hall, which we all know um, back then for sure there was no such thing as a low fat or lower calorie anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even today you, you hear about it from everybody. At least there's healthier options now. But, um, I just, I just wasn't comfortable not knowing what I was eating really. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a lot of, you know, even my sorority sisters at the time would almost stage an intervention because nobody saw me eat because mm -hmm. I didn't like eat much in the dining hall. So they thought I was totally anorexic. I'm like, guys, you seriously don't understand. I'm eating. It's just, I can't be you. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and then, you know, like I said, I became an RD and sort of really learned what food does in the body and what the body needs to run and how to fuel it properly. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the best thing for me, both personally and professionally, to be able to have the knowledge of how to do things correctly for good health, mm -hmm. but also to be able to help other people do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after, um, after you lost the 50 pounds, then, um, then you went straight away to college and you maintained using some um, prepared meals, the frozen meals essentially is what helped you. Is that what I'm hearing? It helped me when there was just food chaos and okay. I didn't have really an understanding of what I was eating because nothing has a label. Uh -huh. you know, so it's, it's really hard to understand what it was. And like I said, at the time, it's not like there were glorious salad bars and right. you know, grain bowls and, you know, nothing really was whole <laughs> grain and nothing was, you know, really the eighties fat side, everything was just richer, like just you know, Salisbury steak and 80s. mashed potato. <laughs> um, you know, we just, we know a lot more about what we're eating now and a lot more information is provided to us about what we're eating now yeah. than back then. So I just felt safer, um, instead of living on lettuce, you know, mm -hmm, I felt safer mm -hmm. eating things that I knew what were in them. Um, I went to the dining hall. I did go to the dining hall, just really not a lot for dinners. Cause that was, you know, I could control it more with like fruit and cereal and, eggs and other things, other meals, but, sure. um, you know, and how so, would you describe your relationship with food after college? Once you graduated and you, then how did things change for you or did they change? Um, I think my relationship with food is ever evolving. I think as for all of us, mm -hmm. it is. um, remember the late eighties was the fat free, no fat, no fat, no fat, sugar's great and fine mm -hmm. era. Yeah. So, you know, I was living on like fat-free frozen yogurt and bagels because they didn't have <laughs> fat. And then I gained a, a decent amount of weight actually in college again, because I was eating what I thought was okay, which really now we know was not so much. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and then I just really had to focus and, and switch things around again and, and lose it again. But um, yeah, I'm good now. I mean, I'm very happy with my body at this point in my life. I've had two children um, I still weigh about the same as I did then. And, um, but it's an everyday struggle. You know, when you are a reduced obese person, you require fewer calories than somebody the same height and weight as you. 
Uh-huh. So it's really, it, and genetically, I was predisposed to begin with. I lived in a house where I was the heavy one. No one else was. Uh-huh. And we ate the same food. It's not like I was getting DoorDash when I was, you know, eight. So I really didn't have access to extra food. In fact, I ate less than most of my friends. You know, when you think back in the day, we all brought our little brown bag lunches that we all tossed in like the laundry basket that they mm-hmm. brought to the lunchroom when we were kids. And you brought, you know, you bought the milk for five cents or whatever for your drink. <laughs> and I had a sandwich and, and my milk and that was it. And everybody else had their Twinkies and their, you know, cupcakes and ding dongs and whatever. And I never ate that stuff, Fritos, Doritos. You know, I didn't have those junky snacks. I just had my sandwich and my milk, but yet I was heavier than everyone else. And the same thing, my mom cooked every night. She cooked a healthy dinner. We didn't have takeout really back then, except maybe pizza, right? Back in the 70s and and early 80s. So I just metabolically was different than other people. I could eat the same as everybody in my house, but just be much heavier. And it's sort of the way it was. We didn't eat a lot of junk food Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, people automatically look at a heavy child and they figure, oh, what's that mother feeding that child? That child just must be eating all sorts of stuff. And that's not the case. Um, I didn't quote unquote, I used to joke that I didn't quote unquote earn it as if it's something to be earned, which is really not something to say. But back when that's what I used to say, like, I didn't earn this. This was not, you know, I didn't go to town, um, and, and gain all this weight. It just, like I said, if you're heavy before kindergarten, there's a genetic component associated with that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's the thing that a lot of people miss out, I think, about childhood obesity is that they don't realize that every body is different. Yeah. Every human body is different. The children grow at different rates. They have different genetic predispositions. They have different metabolisms, different behaviors. They have different even sleep cycles, negative childhood experiences that that cause them to eat for comfort or, you know, different community and neighborhood designs that mm-hmm. allow them access to food or physical activity. There's, it's such a, it's a complex, complex issue as to what makes a child overweight. Right. And I think that everyone misses that when they're like, oh, just eat less. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. And I think that, you know, it's, I love your, thank you. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for giving that context and perspective, because I do think that it's very easy for people, especially people who are naturally thin to look at an overweight child or the situation of overweight and obesity in any age and say like, we'll just stop drinking soda or just stop eating right. candy or don't eat ice cream. But that's not necessarily what's happening, number one. And number two, nobody should have to completely give up the foods that they love in order to maintain a weight that might not even be achievable for them to begin with. Of course. Absolutely. So tell me, thinking about, um, so your, you know, your story is, is really fascinating and interesting and, and very helpful, I think, for the reasons I just mentioned. But how does it inform your perspective on weight loss with your clients? Because you still do that weight loss counseling, right? Right. Um, I have a lot of empathy, I will say, which is really helpful. I think like when you mentioned people who've never had to count a calorie in their life, it's a little bit tougher to really understand that it's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. And um, I really do feel for my clients. And I think that I, I do often share my perspective only because I think it makes them feel better knowing that they're not being judged, mm-hmm. you know, and that I can, I can totally empathize with them. Um, it's, it's different between 
adults and kids, I never put anybody on a diet. That is not what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and in fact, I actually really don't talk about weight loss much because I want them to understand that that is not necessarily the goal in lieu of other things. Mm -hmm. And I always say that I want their body to be happy on the inside Mm -hmm. and I don't care as much what they look like on the outside. And if weight loss is a result of us trying to make their body happier on the inside, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I care much more metabolically what they look like mm-hmm. than what the scale says. Mm-hmm. Because you you all know that there are plenty of people who appear thin but are very unhealthy inside right. metabolically. So right. one, you know, you cannot judge a person metabolically by what they look like on the outside. Absolutely. And I always ask people, how will, how will your life be different if you lose weight? What does that mean to you? You know, not just, well, I, I should weigh less. You know, what does it mean? Are you physically uncomfortable when you move? Do your knees ache because you're carrying around extra weight? Do you get too breathy when you're going up the stairs? You know, do you have trouble getting off the floor? Can you not play with your kids? You know, what is the reason that you want to lose weight? Mm -hmm. You know, other than, well, my doctor said my BMI is too high. I have to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had people come in and their, their blood work is perfect. Everything's perfect. And they're active and they're happy. And I say, okay if you want to make some changes that we can optimize your nutrition so that you're really fueling your body properly and that all of your numbers stay great, I don't care if the weight comes off unless you really want it to come off for some reason that's meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just about the scale. And I think that's where, especially with kids, people go off the rails a little bit because they're focused on the scale and that's really not the, the end goal of the scale, because like we said, children's growth is not linear, right? They, they grow at all different rates. You can have a a 10 year old girl menstruating or a girl not menstruating until she's 16. Yeah. And they're going to grow at very different rates and their bodies are going to change very differently. And these are growing children who need calories to grow. The idea is how do we help them feel properly to grow as healthfully as they can so that, you know, I always use the a couple analogies for kids. I talk about growing a garden. Hmm. If you don't give it sunlight and the proper soil, you're not going to get like full healthy plants. Right. Right. And, and kids have growing tissues when we don't want girls to develop breast cancer later in their life. We want to make sure that as they're developing, that they're getting fruits and vegetables and nuts and beans and seeds and all those phytochemicals and antioxidants and those things that help prevent disease. We want growing bodies to have that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to do with weight. It has to do with fuel. Right. And I think that's what people miss so often that they just look at kids and think, what can we take away to make them weigh less? Yeah. What foods can we take away? Yeah. Instead of what's the most important way to fuel these kids so that they are focused mm-hmm. and they can concentrate in school mm-hmm. and that they can sleep well and that they have energy to get through their day. Mm-hmm. And that they feel good instead of being hungry all the time. Right. And I think it's the, so much of that applies to nutrition counseling at every age. I mean, I think of that, course. you know, all of us, we, you know, I think that if we can take the long view on nutrition, we have a much healthier perspective on food and nutrition and health. You know, we're not, we have a long lifespan, right? Most of us, hopefully, we're all going to live almost 100 years or around, you know, close to 100 years. So if we're really going to live 100 years in this body, we only get one body, what can we do to optimize our health, as you described, in order to live as healthy as we can 
for as long as we can along that hundred years. And in childhood, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot with people about is that in childhood, we're laying the foundation. As you mentioned about breast cancer, the same thing is true about bone health. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about because we know how short the time span is for developing healthy, strong bones, right? And Mm -hmm. if we don't meet those needs in childhood, then we suffer later. There's no preventing that. What what is the the time frame for developing healthy bones, and how is it that limiting um, calories or whatever is going to impact that? I'd never heard that before. Yeah. So, um, Lauren, you can jump in here too. Uh, I think you know we know that bones are the foundation of our bones is really happening before <laughs> our early twenties. Right. Mm, so, so before our early twenties or up to our early twenties, we're starting to build those bones after that, there's just remodeling. So there's, um, breaking down and rebuilding that happens as we continue to get older, but at some, this is while the growth plates are active. Exactly. Exactly. That's when the calcium and, um, other nutrients are building the foundation of our bones. That tissue is being built. And then past that, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. We can't, we can't increase our bone density past like our twenties. Um, right. So if we, so if we restrict our calories too much at any time in our life, and it's interesting cause we're talking now about pediatrics, but when we had Val on and we talked about postmenopause, mm-hmm. you know, when we limit our calories enough, we cannot get enough of the vitamins, minerals, and, and other phytonutrients that we need from food. We can't get them from food anymore. Once we get to a certain limited calorie, like, um, Lauren, you mentioned 800 calories and that is incredibly low. That is an extremely low amount of calories for almost any age. Yeah, absolutely. I I say all the time, I would never, ever recommend to anybody doing what I did. Yeah. But, but nobody knew at the time, you know, not like my mother knew. And certainly this place was, you know, it was like medically supervised. They, you know, they checked your blood pressure every time and all these things. And I had these like horse pill supplements that I had to take while yeah. I was on it. But that was a really low calorie diet. And the truth is my body needed that because I just do not burn the number of calories that other people do. So for me to get weight off, it had to be a little bit more extreme. And the funny thing is, is I've confirmed that with the genetic tests that they do. I know we're early in the nutrigenomic space. Yeah. But, you know, there are certain places that use these sort of weight genetic tests to look at different components of your genetic code and your tendency or propensity. Obviously, nothing is a guarantee. It's more of a predisposition um, to certain types of things. And mine comes out, you know, uh, you know, below average ability to lose weight, Mm. above average, you know, weight regain tendency, um, you know, that cardio doesn't work as well on me, but I don't build as much muscle either. And all these things that are showing sort of like stacking against you genetically as to your ability to keep and maintain a healthy weight, which kind of makes me laugh. And it's almost a little bit of validation to be like, all right, well, I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of kind of in my genetic code, which is kind of makes me chuckle. But yeah, I mean, the truth, and especially when it comes to bone mass, I have absolutely um, after effects of constant restriction mm-hmm. um, with my bones, um, you know, in my because I'm in my um, you know mid, mid to late 40s now. And um, I, I definitely have have spoken out as well, um, having osteopenia 
which I only found out about because of of Fancy, our food and nutrition conference that we go to um, every year that I've been there with Sherry plenty of times. Yeah. Um, Sunsweet had a uh, a bone density scanner thing that looks like a toaster that you stick your hand in and it's just, you know, sort of like a little like preliminary screen. Yeah, yeah. And mine came mine came back. How about that? Um, low and they said, "Oh, you know, you should probably go see your doctor." And I called up my doctor and this was, you know, many years ago, early 40s. And I said, "I kind of need a bone scan." And he said, "What are you talking about?" And I explained and he said, "All right." And sure enough, you know, came back that um I, I have, you know, early osteopenia. So I'm th- so thankful for that because it made me aware. Yeah. You know, because you think about what are the risk factors, right? Being white predominantly, right? Yeah. White woman, lightweight. I'm not, I mean, I'm certainly not a frail. Yeah. Person. Small frame. qualifies being lightweight, but I, I always do a ton of weight bearing activity, which is something that's supposed to help that. Right. And mm-hmm. I obviously try and get my calcium and all those things. So I'm like, all right, I don't know what else I can do really here that I that I didn't do other than the fact that I restricted calories most of my childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. During that so. important time, you weren't laying that foundation adequately. So I think mm-hmm. well, so before you guys go into like what that means, can we kind of define um, what scale you're using when you're saying healthy weight? Are you yeah. using BMI? Are you using something else? Like what? Yeah. What are you kind of considering as a well, frame BMI for healthy? Well, BMI is what they're using for statistics. Okay. Yeah. Which I think, as RDs, we all agree that BMI is not our happy measurement. Um, I think it's it's pretty flawed, actually. But for lack of anything better, that's what okay. we have. Yeah. So you know, based on that, we're talking at, at this point in time, about one in three children is overweight or obese, which has tripled since the '60s. So whatever we're doing in our lifestyles is causing this, Um, you know, and in, and we're talking 71.6% of adults as well are overweight or obese. So when you're looking at more than two thirds of adults that are overweight or obese and one in three kids, we're looking at the home. Yeah. It starts with parents and family. And the environment too. Obviously. Yeah. And the environment too. So, so I think, yes, the home, but also the, our environment, our built environment, right? So we don't, we live in places where we use cars to go everywhere. We don't, we don't move our bodies like we used to. We use email all the time to talk to the people down the hall. We don't get up and move around like we used to. We're not as physically active as we used to be historically, right? I mean, I think there are so many different things. Let me, before we continue on this, I want to just mention, I want to say something too about weight and uh, on our scale or our, our, our measure of, of what's normal and what's healthy. I think, because I agree with you, Lauren, I think that being BMI is not a perfect measure, especially in a pediatric population. Um, mm-hmm. I think that BMI is not terribly helpful, but it is one piece of information we can use. When we think about weight, um, I think that there's some other important things to consider, like waist circumference and hip circumference, and the ratio between the two, especially in adults, can be very helpful. The reason that they're helpful is not because there's a, there's a, you know, once you get to this place, you're considered over, overweight or obese, um, uh, just randomly. The reason is because we know that statistics tell us, as Lauren mentioned, that once we get to a certain place over a certain measurement, whether it's BMI or waist circumference, 
there's an increased association with disease. So your risk for disease is higher, the higher those numbers are, but it isn't, it isn't, um, it isn't set in stone, right? So your risk is higher, but everyone's life is individualized. So for instance, those genetic components are an important part to consider, right? Do you come from a family of people who are, are bigger and is, and, and yet have lower metabolic risk, right? So is there, are they bigger, but lower with heart disease? Like, are they bigger, but lower cancer? So we know, okay, Genetically, your parents were bigger, your grandparents were bigger, you're probably going to be bigger, but does that mean that you are going to die from heart disease? Maybe not. You know, what are your individual, that that's where I think we have to go back into those individual factors and look at what's your individual risk and, you know, with, you know, what's your cholesterol? What's your, you know, what's your heart rate? What's your, you know, what's your blood pressure? What are those things telling us about your metabolic health? That's what, when Lauren talks about metabolic health, that's what we're looking at. Okay. And so you're looking with those measurements though, you're looking at the ratio from the waist to the hips. Yeah. Cause my hips have been big all my life. Right. I've been Mine dragging too. this Good. wagon <laughs> all my life. <laughs> but. You better off with the big hips. Exactly what Sherry's saying is that yeah. if you take two women, for example, and one of them has a small waist but bigger hips and thighs and they weigh exactly the same as a person who has narrower hips and thinner thighs and like a bigger waist circumference the one the woman with the bigger waist circumference although the same exact weight is at much higher risk statistically mm. of metabolic diseases like diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol and those things just because of where the the fat tends to be placed. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, you know, we have to, and so, so, so they're like different, two different things. And we've talked about this before is that there's the, there's the public health issues and then there's the individual issues, right? So, the public health message is we have an overweight and obesity problem in our country. There are too many people um, overweight or obese, whether they're children or adults, because statistically all that extra weight is increasing. And we know that we've seen, you know, obviously heart disease and cardio and um, uh, cancers are, are higher, higher than they may ha- maybe have been sometimes in the past. Although I think I've seen some stats that show that cancer rates have actually come down in some specific cancers. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, we know that, that from a public health perspective, we need to address this. And then how do we do that? That's where the rubber meets the road. And I think is where Lauren feels so compassion, so passionately. And so do I. So let's talk about this specific issue. That's sort of the elephant in the room, right? Is this yeah. week, <laughs> Weight Watchers launched a, an app called Kerbo for children aged eight to 17. And um, so Lauren, how did you feel when you first heard about this app? I took a deep breath. And I sat back for a minute (laughs) (laughs) because I know the firestorm that surrounds these things and I knew it was coming. So I said, okay, I am one of those people that when I've been, when you've been in RD for 25 years, you've seen everything there is to see and you understand how the pendulum swings a hundred percent one way or the other. And I have learned to sit back, have an open mind and understand that things are rarely absolute right and wrongs. You know, very rare. Yeah. There's usually some middle ground in there and you have to figure out what it is. <clears throat> so first do no harm is really the principle, right? Right. First do no harm. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, all right, does this cause harm? Who's it going to help? Who is it directed towards? Is it really science-based? 
what are the parameters that they use, all those things. So I, I looked at the app, I read the press release, you know, I, I, I tried to stay away from everybody's ranting online because it doesn't help. It, it just, <laughs> so I said, okay, let me, let me do my own research. Facebook wars. Um, and, and I was saying it's a little bit of an existential crisis for me because I don't want people targeting children for weight loss programs independent of physicians and registered dietitians. Right. And I say that because most families are, are looking, they may be looking for help, but they're not sure where to go. And I feel like they need health professionals to guide them so that they can figure out what is the best thing for their individual bodies, because everyone is different. So any diet plan in general, whatever that plan may be, is not individualized. So it is not going to work for everyone. And it could do harm to some people because it was not right for them. Right. Correct. Yep. So whenever there's any plan, any kind, uh, that's how I start to feel about it, because I want to make sure that each person is educated to understand if it's safe for them or their child. The thing about Curbo is it is based on Stanford's program. This is not something that Weight Watchers developed out of the blue in their own house. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is based on Stanford. Stanford's been using it for a long time. All the testimonials on the website have to be from the Stanford program because this app just launched. So when you see kids online giving testimonials saying that they've kept weight off for three years or whatever, that's obviously not through the Weight Watchers portal. That's, right. What is know, what is the program. Stanford program that you're so that you're you know Stanford about. obviously has a great reputation. They're using science based information to run their programs. I don't know if it was online or if it was in person that they were running this program. I'm not totally sure. In-person programs tend to work better, obviously. This I can tell because, you a little bit because I read I read the background on some of that Stanford. You want me to jump in here and share it? Yes, please. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what I what I read and it, this was directly from the um, Weight Watchers website, and I can I know that they're calling themselves WW now, but I just can't get there. So <laughs> they have a link directly to the Stanford University program, and, it's, and they have a program called Pediatric Weight Control Program, and they have a Center for uh, Healthy Weight for Children, and um, they started their program, I think, in 1999, and it looks like from the website, and I don't know a ton about the, a ton about it, but from what they've what they've shared here on the website, it was a family intervention. So they brought in families, twelve families, t groups of twelve families together, and they separated the parents and the children, and they did interventions with both of them. So it's education and support for for the family, which is for me where the disconnect is. I don't think this. I, I, I think that this app may be based on what they learned from the Stanford program, but an app isn't a family intervention. The app they're launching here isn't a family intervention. Please correct me if I'm wrong. What do you think, no, Lauren? You, you said it. Exactly. And that is, that is it. Like, bottom line, that is it. So it starts with the parents and the family. The home has to be a safe and healthy environment without singling out the overweight child with his or her food and everybody else's food, mm -hmm. because that's just a recipe for disaster and shaming and poor self-esteem and everything else. This is your problem. It's not our problem. Right. right? So that's, that's the worst thing. Oh, that's and exactly how I felt when I, when I saw it, Lauren, you just put words to my, my feelings. When I first heard about it, I was like, you're, this is telling this child in this, you know, putting them in a, in a container and saying, you're broken here, go fix yourself. 
Right. And it takes a family commitment to model a positive environment around right. food and activity and healthy behaviors like family meals and less screen time and good sleep habits and support to talk about your day and your concerns. You know, we eat for a whole lot of reasons. We eat for happy, sad, bored, stressed, tired, you know, all, all sorts of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So children are no different than adults. The house needs to contain healthy foods so that the children, the children have plenty to eat and not be hungry because and feel deprived because they need to quote unquote lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's so many things here. And again, with seven, almost 72% of adults being overweight or obese, it's much more likely that the child themselves are not the only one in the household who potentially has a similar issue. Right. right. So when I see kids in my practice where the parents are kind of looking at the kid pointing fingers saying like, you have to do this, but the parents complaining that they don't want to give up their whatever. That's when like sort of flames come out of the side of my face. A little, you know, when you feel your face. <laughs> I do. Up and you're like, oh my God. Um, you know, how you have to explain to parents, it all starts with you. They are not buying their own food. Right. This is, this has to be modeled in the home. If you want a healthy child, you need to have a healthy home and a healthy attitude to, towards food for yourself. And you have to share that with them. Right. And, you know, however, and that's, that's where I don't think that Kerbo is useful. However, not every child lives in that kind of environment. Not every child has access to, to parents or helpful parents in this arena, supportive parents, Sometimes kids feel alone in that and they're looking for outside support because they just don't have it at home for whatever reason. Maybe they don't have the kind of support where um, parents are actually in the home with them most of the time. You know, maybe they're in foster care. Maybe there's any number of reasons why children do not have that support from their parents. So maybe an app with a coach using the coaching feature is the difference because a child doing this app by themselves to me is a little bit disastrous mm -hmm. because or the, the parent may the also, it's not up to the child. Right. Um, so I, I think that the coaching feature, the fact that they offer coaches uh, that they match you with based on your sort of your, your likes and your type of personality. So if you're an athlete, they try and match you with an athlete or like a gamer or somebody who's a little bit more like you so they can be a role model to you. Mm -hmm. That's a positive aspect, I think. But, um, but I, I was, look, I was concerned when I looked at the coaching, um, section on the website that these aren't people who have necessarily health and nutrition background. So that thing. to me is like, you know, but these kids are going to have questions about health and nutrition and these coaches may be answering questions that they're not qualified to answer. I agree. And that's why I said, ideally you're going to do any kind of intervention with a doctor and a registered dietitian because right. we are going to be the people who are the most highly trained in order to help you and watch your whole medical situation unfold at the same time. Right. I think that this is why I'm saying this is just a larger issue because if I have a child in front of me with type, you know, almost type two diabetes borderline at 10 years old, and this has happened, mm -hmm. how do you not address the fact that, that weight loss is likely going to help this child not develop type two diabetes as an adolescent. Right. Right. I think that, I think that to say that weight has no bearing on anything is just not accurate. And yeah. there's a lot of people who, you know, who just talked about health at every size. Well, that size isn't healthy for this child. It's right. just not. So 
you know, there are exceptions to the fact that, yes, we want positive self-esteem. We want no body shaming ever, that different bodies should be acceptable for everyone. The problem is that when it's now a health risk and a major one, what do we do about it? Yes. And, and a child in that situation should not be fiddling around on Kerbal by themselves. Right. That's just not the right intervention. So overall, I'm not thrilled with the way it's set up. Um, I understand the traffic light thing to try and be easy, mm-hmm. but I don't agree with the way it's categorized. So explain some, that, is, explain that a little bit. Like games in there that I tried to play the games and I was getting the answers wrong. So, so explain the traffic light thing, because some people who are going to listen to this haven't seen the app yet. Okay. So it's based on like green foods are the ones that sort of you include the most and kind of whatever you want. The yellow foods you're supposed to be more careful of and watch the portions. And then the red ones are like, all right, those are the foods that are not so good for you. So you need to limit those. Right. The green ones are basically fruits and vegetables and things that don't have food labels, right, uh-huh, for the most uh-huh. part. The yellow ones are things like baked chicken and whole grains and things that you really need in a growing body for sure. Yeah. Um, that being yellow, I'm not so sure I like that idea. Um, and then the red ones, you know, even include some healthier foods that just maybe they're a little bit higher in calories, but right. like peanut butter, peanut like butter's red, or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Peanut uh, butter's red. I was, I was shocked. I'm thinking like, well, it, it, I did an app, um, early on in my weight loss journey and in that app, they also use the, you know, Green, yellow, yellow, yes. Uh And in that app, peanut butter was also red. Uh Um, And the the way that they, the reason was because of uh, the calorie density. Sure, Um, sure. And I understand that, but I don't think that, and I think we're in a, like, I think things are so different for kids than they are for adults. You know, children are so literal. And my son Mm -hmm. is hysterical around food and I have to constantly (laughs) help him be a little gray because he's very black and white. And I have to be careful myself not being too black and white with him um, because, you know, he, he, when I tell him something, you know, you can have this, but you can't have an unlimited amount of it because it's not going to be good for your tummy. It's going to, it can make you feel bad if you eat too much of it. Then he's asking me, well, how much of this can I eat that won't let's, make let's me feel bad? that line. Exactly. Yeah. He wants the black and white. He wants, and I think that a lot of kids, you know, they see that red, that they'll see that red and not have proper context, right? Nobody's explaining to them, you know, here's why this is red. And okay, that doesn't mean that, you know, okay. You, and I think it, they limit the number of red foods you can have each day, right? So it's like three red foods or something like mm-hmm. that. So, okay, I've gotten to my red limit and, but I really want to have, you know, a, a peanut butter cookie because my mom made homemade peanut butter cookies tonight and I really want one of those after dinner. But if I have it, I'm, I'm going to be breaking the rule and then I'm going to feel bad emotionally that I ate something I wasn't supposed to eat. You so know you what I mean? feel like it's going to kind of set up food rules yeah. in a way that's unhealthy. Right. And Is not there... only that, but I think that when you look at something as red and it's a food you really enjoy, there's a negative connotation yes. associated with it and it adds guilt. So like I was looking at the way they were explaining this app and it has these cute little videos that are, you know, kid friendly where they're, they have somebody drawing as, as it talks, you know, and then they're talking about, well, if you really want that brownie, you know, this is your red and it's showing like red by the brownie. And to me, it's like just so negative that mm-hmm. it almost, it makes you not want to enjoy it. And they're talking about budgeting your red foods for the week. I don't know. I just, 
I don't agree with the categories of some foods. Like I said, like unsweetened almond milk, which is 30 calories for a cup was yellow. And Mm. that's, that's the same amount of calcium as in a cup of milk. And it's got 30 calories and they're saying red, like kids need calcium. So if you're discouraging the calcium foods, but it's okay if you eat five bananas uh-huh. because they're green. So I, cause I was playing around with the app. I added five bananas to my lunch or whatever. And it's like five greens and that's the same calories as a Big Mac. Right. So uh-huh. I just sort of feel like nothing is unlimited in this world. Even right. vegetables like can't be unlimited completely, you know, because there's, there's reasonable food volume as well. So I just feel like that whole good, bad, you know, unlimited, limited. I just, I just don't like the whole concept. I understand that it's supposed to be simple, but when you look at the, um, the way that you measure things on mm-hmm. this app, it's really complicated because they're, you know, they don't want to make it so that kids are sort of calorie counting and measuring that way. But yet on the flip side, they make it really hard to do. So they're showing like fistfuls versus your thumb length for like nut butter. And, you know, is it an open hand for like a piece of bread? But then how do you measure milk? Uh-huh. Because none of those things could measure like volume <laughs> right. of a liquid. So I kind of looked at it and I went, all right, I would have no idea how to do that. So right. it, it gets, and then if you put in a food that isn't in their database, like that's a specific brand or something like that, it asks you to categorize it as green, yellow, or red and determine your number of servings based on the hand method or the fifth method. I'm going, all right, there's no kid that could do this. Yeah. Like, this is kind of crazy. Yeah. So I, I find that it's difficult to use and I don't agree with a lot of the categories and I just feel like without major support, it can cause more harm than good. Yeah. You know, I would consider, and not only that, but when you look at the website, like a lot of the kids they show, they're not even overweight. So what is that telling you? Mm. I think, I think showing pictures of kids at all is just a problem because if you show kids that are really overweight, it looks like you're stigmatizing them. If you, if you show kids that aren't, it looks like you think that they should be using that. Right. So I, mm. I, I just think the pictures of any kids at all is just a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and because you know, no, yeah. one of the things I think too is looking at the cost. You know, when you look at the cost of using this app, it is somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 to $840 a year, right? So if they, let's say they used it a year, um, that same cost could easily pay for, I mean, far less than that, could pay for appropriate intervention with a dietitian. Could it? Because that was my question. Because I'm like, okay, I I get that maybe you don't agree with Mm -hmm. this app, but what about the, the parent that's concerned about their child who's overweight? Maybe their child is the only person in the family that's overweight. So Mm -hmm. they're not really sure what they're doing Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't have the time and the money to, to, you know, get the appropriate intervention Mm -hmm. with a doctor and a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. This is me not understanding how much it costs to go to a registered dietitian. as a private practice RD who does this, I will tell you Mm -hmm. that ever since the Affordable Care Act went into effect, most insurance companies, if you have, if you have insurance, private insurance, they offer preventive benefits. So there are certain companies, for example, um, that if you have an overweight child, they get unlimited visits with a dietitian, unlimited. You could mm-hmm. go every week, like your private weight watchers, mm-hmm. um, with a dietitian for, for free. Mm-hmm. It's free. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in certain insurance plans and certain ones allow a few visits, you know, some of them are, you know, it's all going to vary, 
but from what I understand, in most states, that's available. So if you can find, um, if you go to eatright.org, which is our Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website, you can find a registered dietitian um, by zip code and you can check with them to see what insurance companies they take. Or you can just go onto your own insurance provider website or, or call up with a representative and find out um, which registered dietitians are in your area. And you can just give them a call and see if they do, you know, pediatric or adult, if you're an adult looking for a registered dietitian, um, you know, weight management, because you want somebody who is familiar with working with kids, right? Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a weight management setting. Um, so is it, that it a really referral that really there should? There are a lot of us out there that have a lot of experience and are willing to help. And, and it might not even cost you anything, which is crazy. Is that a referral that you would be expecting like the pediatrician to make? Ideally, um, but you don't have to there unless you have an HMO. It's not even referral based. So I have a lot of parents who just call me, um, mm. you know, just just because they found my name either from someone or on the insurance company list. And um, they just come right in and they don't most of the plans don't require a referral mm-hmm. either. I mean, it's always good to be in touch with the physician, obviously. But as far as red tape, there's not the red tape that the parent needs to go through necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like just as a a consumer, like for me that my husband recently uh, started seeing a registered dietitian. And I think the only reason why I knew that it was an option is because I work in an industry that employs two registered dietitians. It's not something that would have come to me naturally, you know? Um, And so I, I wonder if, you know, for for most consumers, they see something like this Weight Watchers app as, oh, it's easy. You know, I can just kind of sign my child up for this. And then it's kind of like, you know, rinse and repeat on the monthly payment. And and it, it's, it doesn't really cost me yeah. much in the way of time and money. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. To me, that's the problem. It's this, it's this hands-off approach that I think it, encourages. And what we know is that doesn't work for mm-hmm. long-term behavior change. Right. I mean, like I said, it's, it's all about the family when you're dealing with children. It right. has to be a family approach or nothing's going to work. Right. Because whatever the issue, however it originated, it's within the family. Yeah. Yeah. It's so all about the family, it, whether the it's family. the kid or the adult. Yeah. Trust me. If there's, if there's a health issue in, in the household, everyone is, is really going to have to to make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing about the, the big complaint about most people who are starting to be very upset about this app is the risk for eating disorders. Um, that is a very real risk. Very, very real. That when you talk to most people with eating disorders, um, you hear about their struggles being overweight as a kid or thinking they were overweight as a kid or having body image issues as a kid. And it started with dieting early and then it just blossomed into something very negative. And that is a very real thing. Yeah. It's not a huge, it's not a huge percentage of the population. I think if I have somebody that is very overweight and they have a a health risk associated with it, I'm more inclined to help them lose weight and worry less about the potential eating disorder component. If it's done in a healthy behavioral way with support from the family as opposed to, you know, sending them on a fat diet on their own. Right. That's a totally different thing. Um, So I think, again, we always have to weigh the potential consequences and the the risk benefit of of any medical intervention with a child, whatever it is. 
um, particularly with food, because we just have such strong identities personally with with food and how we feel about it and how it affects us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that I think that the um, one of the again, sort of, you know, kind of bringing us for full circle, the issue of weight, whether it's children or adults, is multifactorial a solution is going to have to be that too. And it does have to start with the family and it does have to start with the individual, but it also requires a lot of external support to, to um, result in long-term sustainable behavior change. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't change the way we think with the same brain that brought us into the thinking that got us in the problem we're in and we need external tools. And I think that a tool like this, an app could be very helpful as part of an overall comprehensive family intervention. And that's what we need. And that, and I think that that's the hardest thing to achieve. It's the hardest thing to achieve because it's the hardest thing for the most people, if we've got 70% of adults need some sort of intervention, it's hard for 70% of our population to access all of that. And when we think about a third of kids needing the same intervention, how can they access it themselves? Because they're just kids. They're not buying their own groceries. They're not making food choices. You know, they're, they have a limited control of their life. And I think an app like this, I'm with you, Lauren, I feel like it has more, has it has such a significant potential for for um, negative uh, impact that we have to protect that that percentage of kids who could be negatively right, um, impacted. Right. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> when you download the app, because, I mean, what kid isn't going to just check the box if they want to? You know, it says, oh, you know, under 13 – uh, you're not allowed on it without a parent or whatever. But, you know, what kid isn't just going to check the box? That's how you get 10-year-olds so on Facebook thought, anyway. <laughs> yeah, the thought of having an 8 or 9-year-old on that mm. by themselves mm. without a coach and without parental intervention, that scares me. Yeah. So, you know, this can be absolutely misused. It can be misused by the teenage girls who really aren't overweight but have body image issues and are just trying the next thing to see if they can – lose more weight or control their food. There, there's so many ways that this can be harmful. There are ways it can be helpful. Absolutely. But I think like we were just saying, I mean, I think that nobody has all the solutions. If they did, we wouldn't have this problem. I think that, um, it's something that's going to continue to be a challenge, but I'm really, really happy that there are voices like yours, Lauren, in the space, um, speaking up and speaking out from a very balanced perspective with your experience, um, both professionally and personally. So thank you for being here and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. How can people connect with you if they want to connect with you, um, outside of the show? Okay, um, you can find me on my website at nutritionstarringyou.com. Two R's. Sometimes people put one in. I'm not quite sure why, but <laughs> Nutrition Starring You, Y-O-U. Uh, and that's my blog where you can find uh, my contact info and email, and you can get all sorts of information, healthy recipes, um, focused on weight management and prediabetes, and all sorts of other fun things. You can also find my cookbook there, The Protein Pack Breakfast Club, Um, which is really focused on how to get at least 20 grams of protein into your breakfast, which is what research shows that we need to prevent muscle loss as we age, which is something we were talking about a little bit earlier in the show. Um, So easy ways to do that, a lot of meal prep, because number one reason why people don't eat breakfast is time. Mm -hmm. 
So trying to alleviate that problem and create easy, yummy ways to do that. Um, you can also, there's a cookbook tab on my website, or you can search it uh, directly on Amazon, the Protein Pack Breakfast Club. And on social media, my handle is generally at Lauren Pincus, P-I-N-C-U-S-R-D. Awesome. So Lauren Pincus, R-D. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes too. Well, again, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us uh, today for taking the time. And this was like last minute yesterday. I sent Lauren a message and said, I need, I need somebody to come on the show and I want you. Can you come and talk to us? And she was, well, thank uh, you so much. I really appreciate it. Sherry and Dia. I had a blast talking to you guys. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you. And I just want to say thanks to all of our girlfriends who tuned in to listen today. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us for this topic. I know that it's something people will feel passionately about and you may have questions and I just encourage you to reach out by email. You can email me directly at dietitiansherry at gmail.com or email us at the show email, which is southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com. And of course, connect with us on Facebook. Make sure that you um, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And uh, and yeah, also, uh, if you could share it with a friend, that'd be awesome. Help other girlfriends find this show, especially if you know somebody who is struggling with the specific issue of childhood obesity, if they've got a child who's overweight and want more information, please share this information with them. All right. Thanks so much. Oh, I almost forgot our question. <laughs> so we end every show with one question. The question that we ask is, what is one thing you're going to do to be healthier today? Lauren, what about you? What are you going to do today? Oh, my gosh. I am going to go for a nice long walk with my dog today. Yay. It sounds like your dog wants to go for a walk. So that's a good <laughs> thing. I know. As you hear, my, my dog is a little vocal today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, awesome. And what about you, Dee? So I came back from California, lots of travel time, lots of dry air, and my hair just feels so like not itself. So I'm going to deep condition my hair Ooh, today. Oh, I love that. <laughs> A little beautifying routine. Yes. Very relaxing. <laughs> nice. I'm going to go swimming. We're going to go swimming today. It's about 167,000 degrees in Atlanta <laughs> right now. <laughs> so we're going to go swimming today um, and have a great time. All right. Thanks so much, girls. And um, I really appreciate you all. We'll look forward to connecting with you on the next Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Bye, y'all.